My name is John Mueller. I'm glad you're here in our services this morning. I'd like to welcome you to Sunlight Community Church. I am excited about today, and I say excited a lot, and I, I, I really am excited about today because today's passage is one that basically pastors get to talk about for one day a year, and they usually get to talk about it on Palm Sunday, which is today. And so I'm going to get to talk about a passage, and we're going to kind of look at the greater picture of that passage, which you may have not heard before because I haven't heard it before, and I, I, as I was studying and preparing, I found a lot more that was going on when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. So I want to make a couple notes real quick. One is my sabbatical is starting April 25th. That's the Thursday after next. That's really soon. And so I'm looking forward to coming back and seeing what God's going to do this summer at Sunlight. We've got speakers lined up all summer. Some of them you know, some of them you've never met before. So we're really excited for that. Here's what I want to ask for everybody to do. And I mean everybody. Can you please pray for my family during the sabbatical? We, we appreciate your prayers for us for the summer as we look to rest refuel and recharge for the next seven years of ministry. Like that's, that's what this is about, is having that time where you're able to recharge for continued ministry. And so be praying for my family. There might be some things over the summer. Um, one of the things we talked about doing is where in the world is John Mueller? You ever watch Carmen Sandiego? Come on. <laughs> so we're going to do that over the summer with some pictures and stuff like that. So we're really excited that that's happening. But please pray for us. That's, that's what I'm asking. I, I really, I really appreciate your prayers. So this week, we're in a, in a two-week series. We did the first week last week, and this is the second week called Jesus is King. You can follow along on our Sunlight app or in version, um, the Bible app. When you're in the Bible app, you tap the bottom right corner where it says more, and then you click on events, and we have an event in there. So you should have the notes and everything in there. So today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And we just, last fall, we actually preached on the book of Matthew. And we actually preached on part of this passage. So it's a little interesting, different twist. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. So you can turn with me there. And I'm going to pray to start our time off because we need to go to God to ask him to move this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we know that your word is not going to return void this morning. Lord, open our eyes, our ears to what you would have us see and hear God, help us not to just see people around us, but to actually see what it says in your word and apply it to our lives. God, we know that this time on Sunday morning is just one small, small part of the time we have this week. Lord, we hope that, hope that this time is a time that allows us to see ways that we can serve you the rest of the week. Lord, as we hear about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the first thing that he did once he was there, help us to not forget that Jesus was an unexpected king. He was not what the people expected. So help us to see what he came to do and who he is this morning. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I don't know what I was saying there. That was weird. I just, I, have, have any of you had a foot and mouth moment before? I have foot and mouth moments all the time. I think the saying goes, I just stuck my foot in my mouth. Has anyone ever said that? Come on, let's be honest. Okay, only five people are honest in the room. That's good. The rest of us, we, we'll say someone else did that. So it's when you say something you shouldn't have in front of someone you shouldn't have. 
I might be the king of doing this. So after service, if you want to get me a, a crown from KidZone, I'll, I'll wear it. Because I am the king of foot and mouth. You can ask my wife. She's in KidZone right now, so she's not cheering, okay? Sometimes it's because you say something that's true, but people can't take it. Sometimes it hurts, or it makes them mad, or it's true, but it's really mean. You ever have someone say something true, but it was really mean? Jesus comes into Jerusalem in Matthew 21, and the people say things they don't mean based on their response just minutes later. They say things, they're, they're like, oh no, I, I had a foot in my mouth moment, I, I shouldn't have said that, and then they change what they're going to say, even though what they said first was true. Is that a foot and mouth moment? Most of the time it's something true, but it's mean. But in this case, it was true and it was right and it was giving God the glory. And so they, they had this foot and mouth moment and it becomes even more clear that what they said was true because the first thing Jesus does in Jerusalem, which I'm not gonna tell you yet, but if you read ahead, you'll know. So we're gonna ask one question today because of this. It'll be what everything else flows out of. So I want you guys to ask this one question. Who... Do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Think about that question this whole time. This is like going to frame everything that we're going to learn this morning. So who do you think Jesus is? And we're going to see the full range of responses to that question today. At the end, though, it will be clear who he's saying he is. And then the question is going to be, do you believe? So turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to read through verse 11. And we're actually going to go through verse 17. It's very interesting what happens right after the beginning here. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, they're, they're coming to Jerusalem. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem with the disciples. They come to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he, will, and he will send them at once. Isn't that a little weird? I mean, I don't know about you, but if someone goes and steals my car and says the Lord needs it, I think they're crazy. Right? That's our equivalent. It gets better. This took place to fulfill which was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion... The king, behold, the king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And then the crowds went before him and followed him and were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then he entered, and he entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds say, This is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth, or Nazareth from Galilee. Nazareth of Galilee. So Jesus sends these two disciples to get this colt to ride on. And being a donkey colt, that, that it would have meant it's never been ridden before. So it's not really trained to have someone ride on it. And there's this sense of urgency because Jesus continually used immediately. He's got this language of someone in a rush at this moment. But even in that rush, 
When you feel rushed in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're still going to have this moment where you realize Jesus has a plan. And I, I kept reading and I thought, what about the owner of the cult? What are they thinking? Can I use any of your cars for the Lord's work this week? I'd really like a nice car, so anyone with the nicest car in the room, I'm going to use your car for the Lord's work. Sounds like a crazy thing, right? Let's be honest. The owner of the cult had to have some type of faith or had to hear of Jesus or, or something. He gives him the cult. And so in Luke 19, we also get a couple more deta- details because they actually have this interaction with the owner, and the owner gives this cult freely for Jesus. And so I always think of the New Testament. I think, okay, so there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament. The Old Testament talks about Jesus a lot, but the people still missed it. And right here, there's this prophecy of a peaceful king in Zechariah 9.9 and also Isaiah 62.11. Both of those prophets are known for being prophets that are quoted a lot in the New Testament. Isaiah is considered a major prophet. And then Zechariah... He's considered a minor prophet, but he's quoted 80 times in the New Testament. 80 times. That's a lot of times. Like, it's really important because he has a lot of prophecy. So Jesus is this king fulfilling the prophecy. And if you read there, it says daughters of Zion. And we were studying this passage, and I was thinking, okay, what are the daughters of Zion? It's the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It's the people in Jerusalem, the residents of Jerusalem. And then Jesus comes in peace on a donkey. I know I really wanted to ride a donkey in today, but it got nixed by the elders because the rental fee was so expensive and then the deposit for the insurance. But, but the reality is someone riding a donkey is not exactly what the people were expecting. They were expecting him coming in as king with this war horse and this elaborate group of people and ornate decoration because that's what they wanted in their hearts. They wanted to be free from the Romans. Jesus didn't come in the way they expected The people were short-sighted. They wanted to deliver from the Romans, and God gave them so much more. Instead of being a part of history, Jesus is the writer of history. That's the difference. They just wanted someone that was going to free them from what was right in front of them, and they missed the point. So the disciples followed Jesus' plan, and they did what Jesus asked. And verse 7 is somewhat confusing if you read it. And we were studying it this week, and I realized that Okay, a donkey is a colt. He only was riding on one animal, okay? He wasn't riding on two animals. He was riding on one. And this, this, this them is to refer to the, the cloaks that are put on the colt. That's a tongue twister. Cloaks that are put on the colt. So they honor Jesus by putting their cloaks on the colt. They honor Jesus by putting their cloaks down in the road. You know, when I was younger, my dad used to tell me, that if I went on a date, you know, you, you give your coat to the woman in case she's cold. And in older movies, if you see, sometimes people lay down their coat on the ground, like if there's a puddle or something like that. That's what they're doing for Jesus. It's polite. It's, it's honoring. And so you see, you see this point, and we get to verse 7, and verse 7 is literally the fulfillment of what it says in verse 5 from Zechariah. 500 years earlier, he prophesied, God gave him this word to tell us Jesus was coming as a humble king. Most of the crowd was cutting down palm branches and laying them down. I don't know what that would be in Angola. We don't have palm branches. I don't know what it would be if we were were 
trying to have a procession in town. It probably is what happens when we win sectionals and we go to the mound and we have the horns and everything and everything's crazy and people shoot videos of it and it's on Facebook. That's what's happening to Jesus, okay? I'm trying to give a context. Like people are shouting, they're cheering, they're shouting Hosanna, which means come save us. They're saying come save us. I think most of them thought it was from the Romans because we're going to see in one week later things changed. The crowd addresses him by saying he's the son of David. That is solely reserved for the Savior, for the Messiah, for the one come to save. And, he sa- and they also say he comes in the name of the Lord, which this is all from Psalms 118. There's actually a Psalm 118 that they sing at Passover. And at that time, they were singing it. It's the Passover season, but they're singing it regarding Jesus. And that's the difference. They would have sung this regarding God. So they're actually saying, Jesus, you are the one this song's about. They're actually saying he's God by doing this. They're they're praising Jesus. They're saying, Hosanna in the highest. This term highest here refers to the highest heaven. It's the highest place. It's it's, It's the place only God could be praised in this way. They could say, come save us in the greatest way, in the highest way, in the most complete way. And then in verse 10, they're asking right after that, who is this? Did they have amnesia? What happened? I mean, my kids have amnesia all the time. I tell them to do something and then they go somewhere else. What is going on? This amnesia is spreading. It's amnesia. They go, who is this? Who is this? They're still asking that. And it can't be more clear. The response that they have from what they were saying as he entered is so different. They say Jesus is a prophet. He's not just a prophet. You were just calling him God. You were just saying things that are reserved for God. The crowd's reception shows there were still skeptics because some people, many people, it wasn't all the people that were doing this, it was some of the people, There's still skeptics and people that wanted Jesus to come save them from the Romans. And when he didn't, we see what happens. Prophecies and what they said was spiritual. But what they didn't understand is he wasn't just going to save them physically from the Romans, their enemies. They were stuck in a, a wrong perspective. They were stuck in an earthly perspective versus an eternal perspective. I don't know about you, but when I think of my life on earth and eternity with Jesus, I start realizing that a lot of the things that are right in front of me don't matter as much. My mother-in-law has a phrase, and I've used it before in preaching, actually. When something is just frustrating her, she just says, this is of no eternal value, and she moves on. It sounds kind of passive, but the reality is, it's true. She's not lying. This is of no eternal value. And they had the wrong perspective. And how can we tell this? They say Jesus was a prophet, not the Savior, not the Messiah, not God. So a while back, last fall, at the beginning of our second part of our Matthew series, Tom Bernardo was here, and he talked about the beginning of of that series with with Matthew chapter 16. And he had four chairs on stage here. And I'm going to kind of summarize some of his thoughts because I feel like people on that day in the triumphant entry, when Jesus is coming in, most people sit in these four chairs. There's there's four chairs. This first one 
is people that think that Jesus is a prophet. They think he's a wise guy. Guess what? A lot of people sit in this chair. Doesn't mean they, they worship him as God. They don't mean they worship him as the son of God. Doesn't mean the crosses affect him. Like, for example, people that sit in this chair that I can quote are Madonna. Oh, Jesus is, you know, Jesus is good. If you watch any celebrity at a uh, Academy Awards show and they claim Jesus right at the end, that's this chair. This person decides to ask Jesus for things that maybe my cousin's sick or something like that. It's not really that. They, they might pray, but they just think Jesus is a prophet. He's a wise guy. I'll, I'll quote him. And you can say wise guy or wise guy. You know how kids say wise guy? Okay, so I'm not saying that. He's a wise guy. So second chair is Jesus is the son of God. And I wanted him to do things for me. Because guess what? He's the son of God. If anyone can do it, he can do it. I'm going to rub the genie and he's going to pop out and he's going to give me stuff. So he's the son of God. I know, I just said genie. There's a new Aladdin coming out. Did you know that? So... So, so the second chair is that he's the son of God. So our prayers and interactions around that are, he's not really my savior. He's just going to give me stuff or give me things or he's going to help me. But it has nothing to do with me and my life transformation. And the cross is still not in the picture. You see, if you, if you go past the cross and you look at the cross and you realize Jesus wasn't just sent to be the son of God. He was sent to be our savior forever. He was the eternal king. He's the one that has a universal kingdom that doesn't have boundaries. We just talked about that last week. And so what happens here is repentance. And David, the, the, the King David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. That's from Psalm 51. And that's that moment where you decide you're gonna sit in this chair. And this is where, where most believers are. And when you sit in this chair, as people are coming in, you see how they were, they were over here. He's God, okay? And then all of a sudden, the people start asking, and they move back to this chair, because this is really where they're at. And so they're over here, and you're repenting, and you're saying, I want God to do something in me. I'm not worried about my spouse in marriage. I need God to work in me. I'm not worried about the people around me. I'm worried about me. I, I need God to do something inside of me, because I know I can't do it on my own. That's where this chair is. And then you have the fourth chair, which you're like, wait, that, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Yes, it is. But then there's an even further aspect of this. And this is the chair that says, I want to see God move through me. I don't just want to, I just, I don't want God to move inside of me and, and have no effects on the people I'm around. I want to see God move through me. And that's the vision of Sunlight Community Church is that we see people and we realize that everyone needs Jesus, no matter how far away they seem, no matter how close. And when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the people slide. First, they're here. They're not even there yet. They're right here. They're like, come save us. Help us. And they move all the way back to the prophet chair, the chair where he's just a good prophet. You know who else is in this chair? This will interest you. Anyone? that worships Allah, Islam. Um, another, another area would be uh, Buddhist. They, they believe that Jesus was a, was a wise guy, a prophet. I mean, you, you name a belief system and Jesus is part of it. I can't think of any belief system 
that has gods or God that does not have Jesus in it. But they think he's over there. They don't think he's over here. They don't look at the cross and realize that the significance of what happened. And so if God's going to move through us, that leaves me with some questions. Because imagine you were there on that day, and you see everything, and you're just observing. I'm an extrovert, so I'd be throwing palm fronds, okay? But if you're an introvert, and you're sitting off to the side, and you're wondering, what is going on? Who is this Jesus guy? I've heard he's healing people. What is going on? It leaves me some questions. Are we asking the right questions about Jesus? Are, are we asking the right questions about Jesus? Are we saying one thing about him like they did? They're saying this, but then all of a sudden they move up here and they're living like this. They're living far away from him. Are we missing the point? The people said spiritual things but lived as if the physical world was the only thing he came to save them from. Do we have the urgency? Are we thinking rightly about Jesus? Are we remembering that? And you know what? Usually on Palm Sunday, we stop right here. Any of you been on a Palm Sunday here? I probably actually have preached this. I don't remember. It would have been years back. But this is a Sunday where this passage is commonly preached. And then we stop at verse 11. But we're going to continue. Because verse 12 through 17 tell a different story about Jesus. Kind of give us a picture of what he actually came to do. Starting in verse 12 of, of Matthew chapter 21, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a den of or house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They got really mad. Do you hear what these are saying? Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you ever read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise and leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Very interesting. Jesus leaves this mountaintop experience of coming in and, and people uh, excited about him coming into town. And the first place he goes is the temple. I don't know about you, but the first place I'm going after a mountaintop experience is not where my enemies are. That's not the place I would go. He goes to the temple, and he drives out the people that are profiting off of God. And, and, and you see this, I mean, even in the church reformation, when, when, the, when the Catholic church was offering indulgences to make people pay for people to get out of purgatory to go to heaven, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's I'm paying something to do something spiritual. And the reality is, our generosity is not based on, on you getting something out of it. It's based on the fact that God's already given us so much that we give back to him. It's not give to get. We talked about that in November. And so he, he says something here. Jesus says something that I think is profoundly important to everyone in this room. He says, this is my house, implying that he is God. He's quoting scripture, but he contrasts this house of prayer as a term for worship and den of robbers as a term for profit. So a house of prayer, 
He heals in the temple. He does all this stuff here. And the religious leaders get so angry because they think he did something wrong. They get so angry. You know, I made a mistake the other week. I got wrong. I, I got really mad at the wrong kid. So I've got a three-year-old Zach, and I've got a five-year-old Annalise. And Zach is notoriously throwing his Hot Wheels cars, okay? That's like his tantrum phase. He, like, starts throwing them, and I hear, like, a crash, and I'm like, oh! It must be Zach. So I go in to Zach's room, and Annalise and Zach are in there, and they're still kind of, like, mad at each other. I don't even know what happened. And I go to him, and I'm like, you threw your car again. I'm giving you a spanking. He looked at me. He goes, I didn't throw my car. Annalise did it. And I'm like, okay, I don't believe this. And she goes, I did do it. She hangs her head. Sometimes we completely miss the point like the religious leaders. We completely miss what God's telling us because we're so focused on the way we want to hear things and what we want to hear. They didn't want to listen to Jesus. He just came in with this huge procession of people. People that were coming in, the, the, the people as Jesus is coming in, they're people coming for the Passover, which is a huge deal. And there's also people inside Jerusalem that are worshiping him too. And so there's this group of people and they're, they're they're telling Jesus, stop the people calling you God. You are not the son of David. But Jesus does something that we miss sometimes at that point. He rebukes them, but he does it in such a way to say the ordinary people get it, but you that are religious don't. He says, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else. He doesn't need the validation of these crowds. Sometimes we pursue crowds. You know, as a pastor, the temptation is, I want a church, every, every pastor, have you ever heard of pastoral exaggeration? You ever heard that? Come on, guys. Someone, someone's heard of it. It's where pastors say, well, I have a church of 14,000. Look around. Is some like 14,000 people? No, right? I have a church of this. And so, so pastors sometimes fall into that trap, but Jesus never fell into the trap. He actually ran away from the crowds. And he runs away from the crowds. Even though the ordinary people got it, the religious still didn't. And he didn't come, at this point, he didn't come to enact a kingdom that would be contained by land. And they wanted that. They wanted it so bad. Imagine if all of a sudden we were taken over by China and everything was in Chinese and, and we were in internment camps. That's what was happening. Like the Romans were taking over and they were taxing the people. They were doing everything. But Jesus came to enact something so much greater. A spiritual kingdom that is eternal. So the first place he goes when he's enacting this kingdom is the place of worship rather than to the palace. He didn't come to overthrow the government. He came so that we could be part of that kingdom, the kingdom that he has that is eternal. So Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, something that I think is vitally important when you read the second part of this passage, is that your body is a temple. It's not a place, it's your body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we're supposed to glorify God with our bodies. I'm gonna have Aaron come up here at this point, but in God's house, our bodies, in our homes, should be a place to worship. Should be a place of worship, to be a place of excitement. 
But some of the people missed it. They forgot. They went from over here, Jesus is God, I want him to do something in me. And they, they go, you know, peer pressure, I realize no one's, no one's listening to this Jesus anymore. He's just a prophet. And sometimes I wonder if when we hear things over and over, we become so familiar with them in the church that we lose sight of who Jesus is and who he came to be because we forget that he's God. And that when we repent of our sin, that, that the response from God is forgiveness. But everyone's going to think I'm still over there. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. The religious leaders definitely missed it. So I can tell you, church attendance does not determine your relationship with Jesus. I'm not saying that like don't go to church. We need to gather together. But what I'm saying is, just because you're at a church doesn't mean that Jesus has, has worked in your life to move to this side, to him working in you and through you. Doesn't mean it's happened. So I wanna leave you with some questions this morning. And this, these questions are things that have been burning inside of my brain for over a week. Are we asking the right questions about Jesus? Are we expecting him to save us from, from losing our house? Or do we realize that even if we lose our house, we still have Jesus? He's still there. Are we expecting him to get us things? Or are we expecting him to actually move in our heart and our soul so that we can be more like him, lead like him, so who do you say Jesus is? That's the big question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he God? Is he just the, you know, the son of God? I want him to do things for me. Is, you know, this is really, this chair is the scariest one because a lot of people in this chair think they're over there. And the reality is, in this chair, you're just using Jesus as a gumball machine. You're putting a quarter in your prayer and you want to get something out of it. And the reality is he didn't come just to give us stuff. He come to, came to save us eternally. And so are we living with an eternal perspective? Are we so focused on the, the mo five moments in front of us? And I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I think of like what's happening next. Like, like, okay, we need to think about what's happening next. Okay, the kids are ready to go. We need to go do this. We forget the eternal perspective in those moments. And when there's a teachable moment with our family, with our kids, we lose sight of that because guess what? We gotta be on time. Sometimes being on time is not all it's cracked up to be. When you have an eternal perspective, you need to focus on those teachable moments. So this, this last question, this is the one that makes me wonder where each of us is at, including myself. Our bodies, our homes, and our church, is it a house of prayer or a den of robbers? Jesus was very clear. God's house is to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Instead of fighting with your coworkers, are you praying for them? Instead of, instead of trying to take things from other people, do you just give it away? 
Is our body our home or our church? Is it a house of prayer or a den of robbers? So what are we feeding our soul with? Is it a house of prayer or a den of robbers? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask in your son's wonderful name, the the one that was the unexpected king, we ask for our bodies, our homes, and our church to to be a house of prayer, a place of worship, and not a den of robbers. Lord, help us to have that ring true in our soul, in everything that we do. What are we feeding ourselves with? And Lord, help us to feed ourselves with the word of God. Help the Holy Spirit to move in our lives so we can see God move through us as a church. Help us not to forget this next week to invite someone to church not because church is going to save them, but because that's one step in the right direction. It's one step to seeing and answering that question of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus in your life? Help us to not forget that today, that he is the, the risen king, the one that has a spiritual kingdom that's universal. It's all over the world with believers that have repented and received forgiveness of sins because of the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice that he did that one day on Calvary. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you'd allow us to see Jesus with the right vision, the right eyes. Give us the right lens to see him. We say all this in Jesus' name.